Um, everybody ducks. <laughs> you know, uh, when we do worship sets like that, um, that really highlight the holiness of God, I am uh, a thought the Lord brings to my mind often is that he is incredibly holy. I try to sometimes close my eyes and picture that scene in Revelation 4, or if you're familiar with the scene in Isaiah chapter 6, where you see God in all of his holiness. And and I, I try to see him as holy and as awesome and as majestic and as big and as powerful, and like that song says, perfect in power and love and in purity, and just everything, I mean, just, ah! It's just there. And I'm always struck by the fact that God is holy and I am not. And if you are not holy, you are welcome here this morning to worship a holy God because of that. Not the piece of two pieces of wood there that have not yet made themselves back onto the wall. But because of the cross of Christ. You are welcome to worship a holy God this morning. Have you ever seen a movie... Uh, or, or read a non-fiction book or, or a fiction book that, that the story is so compelling that you actually leave a little bit changed. There's something about the story that so wraps you up that you're a little bit different. Adam Swenson and I talk about this all the time. You're right in the poll there, buddy. Uh, but, but Adam is a writer, and uh, a, a fictional writer. He's written a book just right now. Shameless plug there, huh, Adam? coming out, I don't know, soon. Got to get an agent and get it published, but it's out there. And he passes on to me good books to read. I just got two more new ones, and they're reserved at the library already. Of these stories that compel you, they aren't just stories that uh, you read so that you're, you know, just entertainment. There are movies like that. There are books like that. They're fine. But these books that you read and these movies that you watch that you leave kind of change, you know, the Schindler's List kind of movies, you know? Read a... Adam mentioned one book to me. I read it. It was called uh, Peace Like a River. Oh, I read that book and I felt like it changed me just to love beauty and to love art. And even though the book's not about that, it's so, so beautifully written. Carol and I read it. You leave changed after you see a movie like that. I'm here today because of a play that was written in the Middle Ages called Every Man. Anybody ever heard of the, book, the play Every Man? It's a medieval uh, uh, morality play that the church put out. And it's the reason that caused me to think about Christianity. So those, those, those stories, those things are very powerful. We're starting a brand new series today that I hope and I pray will impact us the same way those kind of those reading and hearing those stories, those things will change you, not just intellectually, but it'll change your way, the basic core of who you are. I'm praying that this, I'm actually praying that this series will be a turning point in our church. Not that I feel like we need to make any radical shifts, but I think going through this series, I think will be different on the other side of it. If we're not, we've missed the boat on what I'm hoping to accomplish by going through this series. As a church, we're going to be going through over a year long, maybe a year and a half series on the book of Acts. And Acts is filled with all kinds of amazing things. Acts is filled with wild adventure, astounding miracles, supernatural events, people making life and choice decisions, people exercising faith in the wildest circumstances. Acts is a wild book. There's no other book like it in the Bible. There's no other book written quite like the book of Acts 
in the Bible. And we're calling this series The Church on Fire. A study of the uh, study of the book of Acts. Now, I uh, Chris Wachter is our resident graphic artist here, and he always does a logo, and then I always fool with it a little bit. And uh, he had a logo, and it had a little flame, and I wanted a big flame. And so I got this big flame. See the big flame there? And, and then I got this idea. If you've ever been to our website, by the way, our website, we have a great homepage. Uh, the rest of it, uh, not so good. But the homepage... <laughs> The homepage is accurate. After that, you're hit and miss. Homepage is great. On the homepage now, we got this cool-looking picture of this facility. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool to, like, you know, intertwine those? Like, the facility, but it's on fire. It's on fire. It's a place where it's on fire. So I wish I had kept this, actually. You would have got a good chuckle out of it. But I had, the, I had the whole church, and I had that blaze coming out of that window right up there. And Carol saw it, you know, on Friday. She goes, you can't use that. It just looks like this torch, just this arson thing, you know, happening. <laughs> We're calling this series a church on fire because that's what happens in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the church, the church being the people, they didn't have any buildings yet. They were on fire. It was spreading like a wildfire in the middle of Colorado right now where it's just dry. It was out of hand. It was crazy watching what happens when you live a life of reckless abandon to God, and that's what I hope in our church always is like that, but I hope we turn even some more corners as a church and start to live more recklessly for Christ. I often pray for people when they go on trips that they'd be safe and that they'd be dangerous, that they'd be nuts for Jesus. Now, I know I said we're taking a year and a half on this, and we are, because we're going to spend three weeks on the first two verses. So it's gonna, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so, you know, I'll be gray by the time... Already I'm gray. I'll be... I'll have less gray and I don't know. I want to get right into it with you. We're going to spend three weeks in the first two verses. Uh, if you want to pull out your insert, you can kind of follow along how we're going, uh, what we're going to be doing. Uh, I'm going to give a basic introduction to the book in, in... Not this week, not next week, but the third week... Actually, the fourth week, I'm sorry. The first three weeks are just kind of laying the groundwork. Acts, if you just read in the first four words, says, In my former book, Theophilus. Not a cool word, say Theophilus. Yeah, it's a cool word. In my former book, Theophilus, that's a guy's name, that wasn't the title of the book. In my former book, Theophilus, I'll give a shiny dime to the first hope person that names their kid Theophilus. That'd be great. You'd know when it happened during the Acts series at Hope, right? You were named Theophilus. And the next kid was married, I don't know, giving or whatever our next series is going to be. Um, <laughs> in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, obviously, the first four words, in my former book. So, Luke is the writer. We'll talk about that in, in, I never know what to say. Three weeks? Four weeks. The fourth week of this series is three weeks from now. Four weeks from now. Anyway, you get the idea. Down the road, we'll talk about that. This week, it's kind of like watching the second of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. What I really, really loved about the second one is that it just started. And if you didn't see the first one, you were messed up. Now, I had seen the first one just a day or two before, and so I was in good shape. 
But you'll be a little messed up if you don't, we don't take a little time. And in fact, we're going to take three weeks and just talk about these first four words. In my former book, what's going on there? What specifically we're going to talk about this week is the last phrase of this, where he says, go to the next one, Rebecca. It says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The book, if you look in some of your Bibles, it says Acts, A-C-T-S, of the apostles. And it's the deeds of the apostles. It's what they did. It's how the church started from day one and as it grew. And so it's these apostles that that are the, 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 uh, the characters. They're the... They're the players of Acts. The main character of Acts is not these players. Though the main character is Jesus Christ, or specifically the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit working. It's, uh, the rest of them are just along for the ride. Okay, they're just grabbing the tow rope of this, this speedboat that's going, which is the Holy Spirit. But these players are these apostles and the people whom they mentored. So what I want to take in these first two weeks of these three weeks of our introduction of these two first two verses is I want you to meet the neighbors. If you're going to live in a place for a while, you go next door and you say, hi, my name's Steve. I often don't have sugar and I'll be over some. (laughs) That's what you do. You meet the neighbors. And I want to take this week, I was going to try to do all 12 this week, but we just can't get through all 12. We're going to do what I would call the, the kind of secret eight this week, and then we're going to do the fab four next week. Some people are laughing those people who know who the Beatles are, you know. <laughs> the, rest of, the rest of us are. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to do the big guys, the guys who are closest to Jesus next week, Peter, James, John, Peter, James, John, and, and the other guy. <laughs> Peter, James, John, and who else? Andrew, thank you. <clears throat> Changed my life. (laughs) We want to meet these people. We want to meet these apostles. So I want to introduce you to some people. The thing that you're going to be amazed more than anything as we just take a simple look at these people is just like what I said at the beginning of this message was that God is holy and that they are not. You know, oftentimes we get this picture of, you know, Michelangelo, and I like Michelangelo. He's a good guy. He'd be welcome here anytime. And, and, and how they, you know, the Last Supper, where amazingly they're all sitting on the other side of the table. Uh, but there's 12 of them there. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine how much it would be a bummer if you were the dude who just got the back of the head painted, you know? But anyway, there's the 12 disciples in Christ. And, and, uh, um, uh, and you get these pictures. They look holy. They look, man, these guys stunk. These guys were fishermen. Anybody ever been a fisherman? I mean, like it worked on a boat up in Alaska or something? Man, you stink. There you go. We're still washing Adam. He stinks so bad. I mean, it's just, it's not the type of people you'd think of in, in a Michelangelo paint. And every one of them, every one of them were interesting ducks. And yet, it wasn't about them. I'm sure Luke did not title the book of Acts the book of Acts. He probably wouldn't have titled it that. He probably would have said, The book of really weird people who, when God gets a hold of, does amazing things. Acts is a bit shorter, sure. (laughs) But what I want to communicate, and you can just go to the Bahamas after that. I don't care who you are here this morning. If you give your heart to Jesus Christ and you let him direct you, amazing things will happen. Not because you're something. I am not something. The Lord Lord and my wife work together in tandem to remind me of that often. 
I want you to meet these guys. Let's take a look at this. In his former book, Luke wrote, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So there's all these disciples, all these learners. That's what disciples means. All these learners, all these people. But he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he names Peter. His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, I want to go through the first eight this morning with you. And I want, maybe you identify with one of these. I remember when I first met these apostles up close and personal through a study that I had heard someone teaching on. It changed me because I realized how ordinary these people were. Let's take a look at them. First of all, Philip. We're going to give little taglines to these people. Philip was a slow learner. He was. Philip was a slow learner. His name means, its Greek name means lover of horses. He was named after some famous rulers. He was from Bethsaida. He grew up with Peter and Andrew. So he possibly, likely, was a fisherman if he knew them that well. Not necessarily, but could have been. The day after Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, they go and find Philip, it says in John. Philip was probably um, influenced to follow Jesus because of the credibility of his friends. As soon as that happened, Jesus goes and gets, or excuse me, Philip goes and gets one of his buddies, Nathaniel. We'll see him next. It was probably his best friend. He said, you got to check out this guy. So he brings them to Jesus. Now, Philip is mostly known to us because he's a slow learner. When Jesus was going to do one of his miracles, the miracles where he was going to feed thousands and thousands of people, he used Philip as the object lesson first. In John 6, these aren't in your worship folder, you just have to follow along on the screen here. It says, in John 6, verse 5, it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, Well, Jesus, you could do a miracle and just feed him. Nope, Jesus, that's not what he said. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, you and I would go, That's the logical answer, right? But it says that Jesus was saying this to test him. And that Philip failed. Philip failed. Philip didn't know who, exactly who he was talking to. He was too absorbed with the way things ought to be normally as opposed to just look at Christ for how powerful and how awesome he really was. It took three years later in John 14. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, that we, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Philip was a slow learner. Three years he'd been around Jesus, and he didn't even identify that, he and the, that Jesus 
was the, and the Father were one, that, that God himself resided in Christ, that Christ was the second person of the Trinity. Philip was still kind of missing it. He was a slow learner. And yet, Jesus made, Jesus made a great man out of him. Tradition tells us that Philip preached and helped establish churches all throughout the region of Phrygia. And he died a martyr being stabbed. Now, I don't have time at the end of this message to, to give you little application points. I'll give you after each one. Are you like Philip? I just keep coming and, and, and you're a slow learner. That's okay. God will do a work in your life. If you just allow him, that's the big thing. Hang in there. Philip hung in there. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. He had two different names. <clears throat> Nathaniel was a person who was a serious student of the Bible, but he was a prejudiced guy. He was, a, he, was a, he was probably one of those people that you know who has all the answers, but who has all the answers, you know? Kind of annoying. <clears throat> you can see just in the account when Jesus calls him in verse 45 of John chapter 1, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. So Philip and Nathanael were buddies. Perhaps they were Bible study buddies. Here it is. Here's the answer. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael answered him, saying, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, that was a, a proverb of the day. It's kind of like saying, Wisconsin, can anything good come from there? It's not biblical, but it's wise, you know? <laughs> when Jesus saw Nathanael approach, or excuse me, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending. On the man of God. Do you see what happens right there in Nathaniel's life? He's got this phrase, nothing good can come from Nazareth. But Philip says, come and see. And I, be, I bet every week at Hope there are people here who you are at that point. You are at a point saying, you know what? I don't know if I'll ever set foot in, another, in a church the rest of my life. And for some reason, some person brought you here. Whatever it was, you're here. And you're thinking... Why bother? This whole thing's a joke. Can anything good come out of the church? Can anything good come out of Christianity? I see a bunch of hypocrites. And you're the same place as Nathaniel, but somebody says, come and see. And so you say, all right, I'll give it a try. And then you meet Jesus Christ, and he shocks you, just like it happened to Nathaniel. He said, I saw you when you were on the fig tree far away. Yeah, you, yeah I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that you're not attracted by the people in the church, and you start to realize that there's actually something to this Christianity thing. There's something different about them. But ultimately, it's about Christ, and Christ surprises you. And your whole attitude towards him changes. Be a Nathaniel. Tradition tells us that uh, Nathaniel um, 
It says he died. I can't find anything on him. Sorry. It's not my note. Sorry. Uh, He died a really bad death. Um, Somehow. Uh, (laughs) Oops. Uh, Cut that from the CD there. Uh, Matthew. Matthew is one of those guys, if you know anything about the history of what tax collectors were in those days, you know, it'd actually be pretty similar to tax collectors today, wouldn't it? Uh, working for the IRS. It'd be kind of the scum of the earth. Just, it, it, but it was worse in the sense that it was a nation that had, had taken over another nation. Rome had taken over this nation of, of Israel, or the region of Israel, even though Israel wasn't the owners of it at the time. But they had taken over this people, this Jewish people. And then what they do is they co-conspire with some of the people of Israel to be traitors to their, to their nation and to be the ones that go and get the taxes from the people in their households and in their region. and I mean, you were definitely the scum of the earth if you were a tax collector and a Jew to do this for the Romans. Ooh. You were excommunicated. You were cut off from the people of God. Matthew probably was well taught in, in his childhood because he quotes from the Old Testament in his gospel more than any other writer. Um, the, the hatred towards these type of people was so great that the Talmud, which is a book that the Jews wrote, which was kind of a, a help to know the rules to live by in addition to the Bible, uh, they said it is righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector. That's how much they hated these people. There was no love lost for tax collectors. And yet, uh, Matthew... He had an overwhelming sense of sin and it made him easier to follow Jesus Christ as Savior because he knew how much of a sinner he was. His own people hated him. Can you imagine some of the gatherings where the apostles were together? I mean, these guys did not like Matthew at the beginning. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, tradition tells us, and also that he preached to many different nations. Here's a guy who's scum of the earth. Everybody in that culture doesn't like him. Matthew is definitely the godless who became godly. Not only we're all that, but he's a guy who saw the healing power of Christ to transform him. Thomas. Thomas is the dedicated skeptic pessimist. And I love Thomas. Thomas gives me hope. Now I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Because you always think of Thomas, what is the first thing you think of? Doubting Thomas, right? You always think of doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Thomas gets a bad rap because in John 11, if you're familiar with the book of John, uh, there's a story where Lazarus has died and Jesus is going to go heal him. And, and, and if they go that way, if they go towards Jerusalem, all the disciples know that it's toes up if they go to Jerusalem, that they're going to get killed next time they go to Jerusalem. And, and Jesus says, let's go help Lazarus. And Thomas is the one who says in Luke eleven sixteen, then Thomas called Didymus, that was his other name, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Huh? So be like Thomas. Be like Thomas. However, he's the one that was kind of confused. He was the one who did have issues with, with doubt. John 14, verses 4 through 6, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this long uh, thing that John gives us, one of the last times he speaks to his disciples. And he says in this passage, you know, the, you know the way to the place where I am going. 
And I, I imagine when Jesus said that, there was silence among the, the apostles, and everybody kind of nodded their head, kind of like you're doing with me right now, even though you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Thomas was the one who had the guts to say, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we go, or so how can we know the way? That's when Jesus utters the famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm glad he asked that question because Jesus wouldn't have said those famous words. But he's the one who had the guts to say it. But he was, he was confused. He didn't understand. He wanted to. He had a good attitude, but he just didn't get it. And, and the Lord in all his, his sovereignty knew this. And so he appears after the resurrection. He appears to the disciples, but not to Thomas. If you look at the end of the book of John, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, it says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. I mean, what's your response going to be to that? Jesus, you just saw Jesus dead on the cross. There's no way. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. I like that. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, remember something that we, I, I, I talk about often here. If you have a question about God or you have questions about him, he loves those kind of questions. He loves honest questions. He will answer them. If you read the Gospels and see how Jesus relates to people who ask honest questions, he loves to answer them. If you look at the Gospels, you see how Jesus responds to people who have tricky questions or, aha, I got you here. Why don't you make a, a mountain so high you can't climb it? Ha, 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 gotcha. Make a round or make a square circle, Jesus. Ha, 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 gotcha. <laughs> whose this coin has, you know, who should we pay taxes to? Ha, ha. Jesus doesn't answer those questions. He answers this question. What am I supposed to do? I I need proof. Jesus gives him the proof. It says, stop doubting and believe. And then listen to what Thomas says. My Lord and my God. Another great phrase. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have not believed Tradition tells us that Thomas preached the gospel in India and established a church. Did I say something wrong? No. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Have belief, excuse me. It's one of those whiteout kind of days, you know. <clears throat> Thomas preached the gospel in India. He established a church there, and tradition tells us that he was killed by a spear. James. James, the son of Alphaeus, or sometimes called James the Lesser, he might have been related to Matthew. He might have been uh, Christ's first or second cousin, some people say. You know what we know about this guy? Nothing. That's basically all we know. And yet he's one of the twelve. So you might be sitting there today thinking, you know what, I'm not flashy. I'm not even a person who's stupid like Philip. I'm just totally behind-the-scenes kind of guy. 
James is there. James is your man. His name is in the Bible. How much more can you get? Tradition tells us uh, he preached in Persia and Iran, and he was crucified there for being a follower of Christ. Simon, who is called the Zealot. Now, you need to know something about the Zealots. The Zealots, there's different political parties at the time of of, uh, Jesus' coming, just just like there are now. There are different ways of trying to relate with the Romans. The way the Jewish officials did it uh, were primarily through, uh, you know, schmoozing with them, keeping things okay. But the Zealots, dudes, the Zealots were those kind of people that are in a meeting and I was like, what? That's not the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in those kind of meetings? The Zealots were the kind that would, every time that, that any kind of political rally would happen, they'd be the ones that would begin the chant, trash the Romans, trash the Romans, trash the Romans, trash the Romans. Ah, we can overcome them. There's only, you know, 50,000 of us, and there's 5 million of them. So what? We can take them. They were the zealots. People think, scholars think, that Simon probably started to follow Jesus because he thought that he was going to overcome the Roman Empire. Whew, yes. The Romans are going to get trashed. It's going to be great. And yet Simon came to a point in his life where he realized that real peace did not come by the sword. And the kingdom of God was not a political kingdom. He started to realize that real change comes from human hearts being changed one at a time. He realized that's what the most powerful thing in the kingdom is. Not a political entity. Simon was a zealot, and he gave it up to be a follower of Jesus and to be zealous after that, and to be a lover of people and not politics and power. Judas, son of James, the man who could not understand why Christ did not just take over. Judas only has one verse in the Bible. It's in John 14, 21, and 22. He only speaks in 22, but I'll give you 21 as a, uh, as a uh, background. Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? What's the deal here? Just do it. Just do it all quickly. Possibly could have been in the camp with Simon, could have been a zealot, wanted to do it either politically or just wanted to take it all over. And Judas had to come to the point in his life where he realized that this is going to happen slowly. This is going to happen one person at a time. It's going to happen one group at a time and not just by mass Mass overtake, mass conversion, which is a lesson we need to learn constantly. Happens one person at a time. Tradition says he went to evangelize Syria, even won the king over to Christ, but he was beaten to death by one of the king's relatives. The last person is Judas Iscariot in that list. It says, who became a traitor? Scholars say that Judas and Simon, or uh, Simon the Zealot, are always put together and they may possibly have come from the same party. It might both have been zealots. And there came that point in Judas's life where he realized that Jesus is not going to overtake the Romans, he's not going to do it politically. 
So I'm going to get rid of Jesus. Jesus had the same exposure as all the other disciples, but something was different. He never got it. He never said, Lord, whatever your way is, I trust you. Judas is the scariest of the 12 disciples because it, it's just like us. What you can become if you start saying no to God. And you know what? I don't mean to scare you, but it starts with little no's. I'm sure Jesus, Judas in the very beginning didn't say, you know, I'm going to betray this guy with a, with a kiss in the dark where they think it's safe and I'm going to come and betray them and won't that be just great? You know, after that I'll go and hang myself. What a great life that'll be. Judas didn't start there. I'm sure he started somewhere back just by slowly and surely turning his life a little bit towards his own ways and not God's. Judas is a frightening apostle. Judas is not going to be around in the book of Acts because he kills himself. But we need to look at Judas. We need to not allow that to happen in our own lives. God can use anyone. Every one of these guys was schmucks. No one of them was better than anyone worse, including Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. The difference was, was were they going to open up their hearts and say, Lord, I will let it be your way. I will go your way. I am willing to let you use me. Or are you just going to say, ah, I want it my way? You know what? That's the life of Judas. Let's pray. God, we want to be like the first seven people we looked at this morning. God, we want to be people who are ordinary folk, um, who look at ourselves and see people who aren't holy who ask silly questions like Peter, or uh, Philip, excuse me, who, who maybe are stuck in our ways like Nathaniel. Maybe are zealous for causes in, in, in that don't necessarily reflect kingdom values, like Simon. Or maybe we're just silent like James. Whatever it is, Lord, if we open our hearts up to you and your Holy Spirit enters into us and changes us from the inside out, what happened in the book of Acts could easily happen in the city of Minneapolis. You could move in such a powerful way that years from now people would be writing books about it. God, we want to open our hearts up even now as we close with some responsive singing. God, would you just come and if there are areas in our life that we need to turn from, would you just allow us to turn from them? If you're bringing things up to our mind, oh God, would we not move from our seats or move from this, this church building until we've resolved them with you? Just come now, Jesus, and be with us the rest of this day and, and be with us always as we move towards being people who want to open our hearts to you. We pray this in Christ's name.